Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. I hang out with a lot of online friends in my spare time, and one evening, a few of us were hanging out way too late at night, and one of them started streaming this really weird game. A bunch of stick figures in Wild West clothes and all these Wild West aesthetics, where there was a lot of sass in the dialogue, the fights were sometimes optional, and your main character's body language suggested that they were an escaped member of the Ministry of Silly Walks. And that was how I got acquainted with West of Loathing. As it happens, this game is a spin-off of Kingdom of Loathing, a game from 2003. This game came out in 2017, so quite the gap. I've never even heard of Kingdom of Loathing before, though I've read that it shares a universe with this game and has similar sense of humor. It also has the same minimal aesthetic, as far as I know. To be honest, I liked the title West of Loathing better when I didn't know it was derivative of Kingdom of Loathing. I figured maybe it was just a reference to Fear and Loathing, which I now realize wasn't actually a Western movie. And I guess I liked the randomly cynical title, West of Loathing. Like, oh, okay, well, now I know it's just based off Kingdom of Loathing, so just an entire loathing expanded universe which i don't really like as much but it doesn't really ruin anything either the game's a little morbid a little cynical and some of the side quests really started to test my patience so at the very least i can probably figure why loathing is such a prominent word besides sharing the naming convention with kingdom of loathing the Western theme isn't just for show, either. Everything is really all west urn. You've got saloons, you've got ranches, cemeteries, mines, war forts, you've got cowboys and horses, you've got spittoons and anachronistic gramophones, all that fun stuff. People use a lot of Western vernacular, unless it suits the joke. And this is a very short game. It's a Majora's Mask situation where the main storyline is pretty short and to the point, while the bulk of the game is in side quests. Also, it just seems like I'm going to compare every game to Majora's Mask at some point between this and Pikmin. Your character is this stick lady. She yearns to leave her little farm out in the middle of nowhere and head out to the west either to make money, to go on an adventure, or to help people. You tell your little brother as much. The night before, you also determine your job class, and you learn at least one starting field skill from your mother. Kind of like a, in a tabletop game, where you have all those skills that you can level up to get you around in certain situations outside of combat. It's like that. Once you get your character all set up, you travel 200 miles to Boring Springs, a small and aptly named town. This is where you learn how the game works. You go around, you do errands for everyone. Not every errand is important, but you get more accessories and goodies if you're a better Samaritan. You learn to expect a lot of gates with this game. You show up to a new place, you find a lot of things that you can't do, you have to remember to come back later with the right stuff. Sometimes you're permanently locked out of a goodie if you don't know what you're doing. 
One early game example I can think of is that you get up to three or four needles in the Boring Springs part of the game, but some of them can be wasted, and you'll be left with a lock and no way to pick it. After doing all the tasks, you get a party member from a small selection in the town, then you head out to the real west, to the town of Dirtwater, and that's when the game really opens up. From now on, the game is just a bigger version of the stuff you were doing in Boring Springs. More errands, more locations, more difficult fights. This is literally the rest of the game. Boring Springs was just a microcosm of things to come. And while you're exploring and traveling from place to place, you'll often be alerted to brand new locations and get wrapped up in the side quests there, so you just keep getting more and more things on your itinerary. A lot of times you need to remember a location or a character from later, like I said. It honestly feels like a Metroidvania game at some points, which is always a formidable genre, for better or worse. Talking to your partner will let you keep track of which jobs still need to be done, but there's nothing stopping you from most of it if you just feel like ignoring a lot of them. Of course, I told my character's little brother that she wanted to help people, so I made it my business to do as many side quests as I could, and to avoid violence if I could help it get a little of that Undertale juice flowing. Undertale juice, what? Though sometimes you can't avoid a fight, especially when it turns out your stats are all wrong. Oh, you want to intimidate this guy into not fighting you? Well, too bad, you didn't level up. Guess you're fighting. It's a good idea to keep most of your equipment, because they offer various stat gains that the other ones don't, and rotating them around to suit your needs is pretty helpful. The same can be said for food and drink. Ingest them for stat buffs that last for the rest of the in-game day, until you go to bed or lose too many fights. Which means you can ostensibly do the entire game in a single day. You can only fit so much food and drink into your body over the course of a day, though, so choose wisely. Keep all these in mind, and your stats shouldn't be too much trouble. I did not keep a lot of this in mind as I was going. At least, not at first. Admittedly, though, I got a little weary of everything toward the end. Once you get to Dirtwater, you're nudged to check up on a train a little further out west. The main plotline is to keep this train moving and get it all the way to the town of Frisco. It stops a few times, and there's a plot that needs to be resolved by way of a few quests. Frisco is essentially the game's finish line, but there are a few plot hooks going on in the background, all independent of that. There's perennial talk of infernal cows roaming the landscape, you've got cultists and a necromancer running around, and a few ancient robotic ruins in some of the mines. Better see what those are all about. Once you get to Frisco, the game is effectively over, and you can view the ending. The ending can be rewatched over and over, and changes based on your actions throughout the game. What you did and didn't accomplish, and sometimes how successful you were in accomplishing them. Addressing the cows, cultists, and robots makes the ending better, which I found out the hard way when I got a positive yet highly ominous ending. Again, by the time I got to Frisco, I was a little tired of the game. The quests were getting more complicated, my stats weren't keeping up with me anymore, and my money was usually running on empty. There were more things I could have done, but I just wanted to be finished with the game. I might come back to it at some point. It was a very unique game. Now that I know how it works, I think I could go further with it. 
West of Loathing is an RPG, and even though the main character is always the same, she's a different stick person every time. In my game, she was Piper Mayfield, a strong cow puncher with a solid haymaker and an unfortunate tendency to learn the dark arts at the cost of her health. Fully subjected to the West's insanity, she strove to help as many people as she could, and in the end retired after reaching Frisco and helping about 42 characters, which is just barely over the minimum to reach the best ending for the I-want-to-help-people route. Next time, I'll probably ask Mom for the lock-picking book instead of the foraging book. I needed to pick locks a lot more often than I needed to scrounge plants. I'd probably keep the cowpuncher job, but I'd abstain from learning the necromantic skills, because while they teach you skills, the trade-off is that you're permanently weakened a bit, and honestly, I didn't even get that much use out of the skills. I had Piper teaming up with the doctor, Alice, and while she was useful, I hear that the goblin partner is considered the most broken in the game, to the point that he's banned in hard mode, so I might recruit him instead, next time. There really isn't much to her character, but the way I played Piper, I got attached to her. I like the idea of this altruistic, somewhat reckless lady traveling the Wild West, helping people out whenever she's not obliterating whatever obstacles she has with her fist. Well, I don't really get into Avatar characters, and I still see Piper as her own entity, this is one of the few times where I really feel like I got to make my own unique path through the game. Most of my experience with Avatar characters just boils down to do the plot, but maybe sometimes your dialogue options will be snarkier. No real agency in how the character lives, at least not in anything important. Pokemon, Persona, Fire Emblem. I feel like this game got the player avatar concept right more than those did. It's worth mentioning that the game has DLC, Reckoning at Gun Manor. A new quest is unlocked at Dirtwater, leading you to more puzzles, items, and monsters. I'm inclined to believe that it's simply more West of Loathing on top of West of Loathing, in case you just wanted a bit more West of Loathing. Uh, now I'm thinking of that weird exhibit joke. Yo, Yo dog, dog, I heard I you like West, West of Loathing! Of loathing. Other than the associate of mine who played the game, I haven't heard much about it. I looked around on Tumblr, maybe see what kind of impact fan tributes this game might have had. I guess Markiplier played this game because most of what I saw was people posting about his Let's Play of the game, which might be old news because the game's originally from 2017. That was the PC version. Switch version came out at the end of May this year. I think that's when I did the Detective Pikachu movie episode, Bit 85. But, yeah, I guess this game got the Markiplier bump. I'm not really into his videos, but that's probably the best outcome Asymmetric could hope for. It's actually a little fascinating these days. There are games that are designed with streamers and YouTubers in mind. Games tailor-made for that kind of exposure. Just goes to show how the market is always adapting. I'm not saying that West of Loathing is one of these games. I don't think it is. But that was just a side tangent. I'll say that I liked the game, and that I can see myself coming back to it someday with more knowledge of how the system works. But I do have a few criticisms. Sometimes I felt like no matter what I did, I'd never get the stats I needed, 
I'm pretty sure my lockpicking ability was still at level 1 by the time I made it to Frisco. Granted, there are more quests out there, but I stand by my critique, because getting locked out of too many things in a row doesn't help motivate me to keep going. I also think the game gets a bit overwhelming. You get so many chores to do, and while you're doing those, you get even more chores to pop up. You get distracted with new places, and you can lose track of everything. While the partner can remind you of things, if you ask them, I'd prefer an itinerary that you can just check back in on on your own. Kind of like the bomber notebook in Majora's Mask. Again, going back to that game. Another issue was that a lot of things were permanent. Like the drink machines in one of the cultists' hideout, I think. Or the necromancers' hideout. Whoever they are. They're bad guys. If you make the wrong drink, you break the faucet for the rest of the save file. And now you're out of luck with whatever that could have done for you. Sometimes it's to a lesser extent, like only getting one chance per in-game day to guess the ghost's granddaughter's name in one of the cemeteries. Not as permanent, but it's still a little harsh for what's ultimately a trial-and-error mission. And I say it's a trial-and-error mission because while the game does give you hints, they're not very good and can sometimes even contradict each other. And it turns out the name isn't always the same answer. On that line of thought, the game feels cryptic with a lot of its puzzles. You can figure things out on your own, and I'm sure that's very appealing for many players. People like their games to be hard these days. But I just felt like they were a little too cryptic. I could barely figure a lot of them out without looking them up. Or sometimes I could just brute force my way through a puzzle, which probably wasn't what they wanted me to do. That one's hard to blame on the game itself, but with the game throwing one thing after another at me, I didn't feel a lot of motivation to think things through. I just wanted to get it done, move on to the next task, and so on and so forth. I guess I just wasn't captivated enough. There's one section where you have to do at least five out of seven tasks for a town. One of these tasks, that's considered to be one of the most annoying and yet it's one of the few that I accomplished, is visiting the town of Ghostwood. Everything is a bureaucracy to absurd degrees. You can't do a single thing without the proper prep work and pre-approval. The mission there is hideously drawn out, to the point where you even have to pass two in-game days to see it through. It's obtuse and obnoxious, and all of this was on purpose, because no one really likes bureaucracy, so... A punchy game like West of Loathing, of course they're going to make fun of it. And making it horrid for the player is probably the best way to make a joke about bureaucracy. But the sad thing is that, to steal a description I'd already used earlier, it feels like a microcosm of West of Loathing as a whole. Quirky, but tedious and repetitive. And while I didn't hate it, I don't entirely miss it either. That might sound a little harsh, but I do want to repeat that I like the game still. It's just one of those games that works better on a revisit, when you know what you're doing more. Stumbling around blind for the first time, I'm sure one can see how it'd be a little vexing to deal with all the errands and the gotchas and the backtracking. You kinda have to like the game enough a first time to want to play again a second time and know better what to do on all those subsequent visits. 
Ryan Ike composed the music for this game, and it's all very western, as it should be. For today's favorite songs, I choose the main theme, the battle theme, and a certain other one. The main theme is simply titled West of Loathing, parentheses, main theme. It plays at the start in Piper's bedroom before she sets out for the West. Really does a good job of getting me excited for the journey to come. Feel like I'm about to go out and do some manly work. Like the manly man I am. Even though Piper is a, a woman. Whatever. She can be what she wants to be. It's 2019. Or, well, actually, it's it's the Old West. But it's the fantasy Old West with infernal cows and robots and stuff. She can be whatever she wants to be. The battle theme, draw, that's, that's draw with an exclamation mark, is a pastiche of all the music you'd hear in showdowns in Western movies. All the quietude that eventually gives way to all the tension in the air. I'm pretty sure this plays for literally every battle in the game. Most battles didn't last long enough for me to hear the whole song, so the longer battles almost felt like they had new music as a result. I think that's a neat way to go about it, otherwise I'd groan at the lack of variety. I mean, we're not in the 80s anymore. This isn't Final Fantasy 1. That game had literally one battle theme too, at least in the first iteration. Last favorite is Misbehave, parentheses, in this cave. I can't talk about this song without giving away the joke, because it's so... so silly compared to everything else you hear. You don't, you're never ready for it when you hear it. So I'll just say to travel in the game to Fort Darkness and explore around. You'll know the song when you hear it. You'll just have to trust me on that one. And that about does it for West of Loathing. It's a simple game with a not too big following, so there isn't a whole lot to say about it, but I'd give the game a look if you're looking for a simple game to play in between other games. I got it on Switch for about $11, so not a bad price overall. Again, you could also get it on the PC if you wanted. That version's been out for a couple years by now. I'm not sure if the Switch version even has the Reckoning Gun Manor DLC. It might, might not. I'm not particularly interested in playing it either way, but it's something to keep in mind if you want to give this game a shot. Oh, also, I did a little bit of last-minute research during the editing process, so now you get to hear post-production Alex, and it turns out I was walking a very thin line when I played the game because I had Alice as Piper's partner, and... She does not like you learning necromantic skills, which I knew, but I didn't really think much about. But her whole tragic backstory is that a necromancer kind of ruined her life, so she doesn't like it when you learn necromancy, and if you learn too many skills, she might actually leave your party. And you never get the ability to go back to Boring Springs, so you'll be alone for the rest of the game, I'm gathering. I came really close to losing out on an important resource in battle because Alice can instant kill skeletons, she can heal you a little bit, and she can target multiple enemies at once. Uh, that on top of the debuffs from learning necromancy, 
and the useless skills, it just goes to show that necromancy really probably isn't worth it in the game. And that's all I really have to say on that. Okay, back to the conclusion of the episode. Next week will actually be my birthday, so I'm planning to talk about a very special game on that episode, so be sure to stick around for that. Follow the BitCast Twitter to stay up to date, and you can also see my thoughts and observations on things. You can also find the show on Podcast One's site and mobile app. And with all that said, I'll see you on the next one. Listen to BitCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.